You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. From Uberwald to 4X, this is a Project Podcast, episode 46. And stuff. <laughs> And welcome to the Project Podcast, episode number 46. So, here I am back once more, onto the thingy me jig, my dear friendy poops and stuff. Now, uh, before I start here, um, a friend of ours has been having a little bit of the health problems, as of David Keep. Dave Keep is the guy who's basically responsible that this podcast actually exists. And um, it was his suggestion that myself and Reese at the time uh, start the podcast because it was just too broad a subject to cover. So if you can keep him in thoughts, uh, that'd be very nice because uh, the hell is it's just a roller coaster ride for him at the moment. Hopefully, he'll get stable very soon. So. Hello, David. And hello, his wife, Elizabeth. Lilibet. So, I suppose I better get on with the newsy stuff and that. Times. Times. Get your ankle pop. Times. Times. Get your ankle pop. Times. So, the first bit is that at the Discord conference... Mort has been confirmed, it's been produced as a film. I'll give you more details when I have a lot more details than I actually have. But the other thing is, is that the Jim Henson Workshops is also in the Discworld phase and is in a pre-production for the Free We Men. But, you know, pre-production can mean anything from script writing to the T-Boy has been decided. So, uh, looking forward to that. Hopefully it won't be like the last time. Now, the Three Wee Men was previously in production. Yeah, the first time there had been an attempt to make the film at the Three Wee Men was under the, uh, basically, the, the site of Sam Raimi. Yes, the Mr. Evil Dead guy. And those awful Spider-Man films. Spider-Man 2 is okay, but the other two are absolutely awful. I'm sorry. Uh, it's just too much big eyes and... Let's say they were Spider-Man through the best, I think. Now, he was signed up to a version, but when uh, Terry had seen the script, he wasn't impressed. I'm quoting at the time, I saw a script that I frankly thought was awful. It seemed to be the free we, we free men in name only. It had all the hallmarks of something that had been good, and then the studio had got involved. It probably won't get made, and it didn't at the time. Uh, as you probably all would be aware, because we'd all be sort of chatting about it. 
But yes, uh, this is something that happens quite readily and quite often um, with things like film production. The fact that the film studios put their little paws in there and basically ruin it. Now, uh, pointer procedure, and uh, the worst for doing this is the um, people at Warner Brothers who put their fingers in with Superman versus Batman. I understand the uncut version that ended up on the Blu-ray DVD thing is about one million times better. And from what I've heard of the Suicide Squad, it's much the same thing. Uh, so it will probably be better when it let eventually comes out on DVD Blu-ray. Uh, so, that's what we've got to see what comes of all that. Hopefully it'll be sort of a more of a, oh, I say grandiose, but a more of a, a beautiful outing than the mob did because the mob had a certain budget and they did brilliantly for the budget they had and considering they were sent to Sky and Sky's not known for their best sort of side of things you know it's owned by a, a, a guy who basically looks like Davros without the wheelchair and the third eye I'm drifting so on to the next section which is the new members of Zivach Welcome to the watch. Sergeant Detritus over there will swear you in. Detritus! Yes, Mr. Vines. So, quite simple and very short this week. We have one, or this week, I say week, ha 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 ha, month. We have one new member of the watch. Rebecca Anthony. That's it. Really? No, 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 no. That's it. Okay. Don't believe me. On to the next section. Clacks. Clacks! Well, here we are. Now, my usual clacks are here. I've been busy at it, and I mean busy. I thought I wouldn't have anything for this month, but he was so much busy that he actually sent in two extra pieces. So, um, yeah, there's going to be a lot of Colin this month. So, I shall start. This is this. Here's this Colin's Last Hero review. The Last Hero. This was a bit of a departure for the series, and it was the only book to be published in large format, that is, coffee table size with detailed pictures all drawn by Paul Kidby. It's the only book released in this format. Oh, what did he say there? He's, he's left me a footnote. I've got a funny footnote, you see. Eric was released as a graphic novel, but it was comic book sized and the drawings were cartoons compared to this release. Aha. Uh -huh. Continues. And it's quite wonderful. But let's start with a bit of a rant. Oh, oh dear. I haven't got my helmet on. I bought this book uh, in hardback as soon as it released, along with many others. I like to get the hardbacks because they are a lot, uh, longer lasting and a hardback cover particularly suited a book of this size. Roll on six months and the paperback is released with 16 new illustrations. Uh, that's one, two, three, four, five, six exclamation marks there. <clears throat> Utter, uh, arrow up. And sign 
percent sign, dollar sign, pound sign, exclamation mark, and it goes on and on and on and on and on and on and sign S. I really hate it when the publishers do this because if you want to see the the small extra bits and pieces, you have to buy the entire book again. And now I've got another footnote. They also did this with Russell T. Davis. The Writer's Tale Part 2 was only released as a combined volume with Part 1, so anybody who bought Part 1 had to buy it again. I'm going back up. And yes, so uh, Russell T. Davis, yes, that was the guy who first wrote Doctor Who as it came back in 2005. And basically went out on the most awful note. Any. Not even Nathan, John Nathan Turner managed to leave on such an awful note. The end of time. What the hell was that? Anyway, wrong sort of DW. I'll get back to this. I did not buy it on any principle. However, oh, I didn't buy it on principle. No, any principle. Sorry, Colin. However, in 2013, they did release a small version of the book. That is the one that was easily readable and did not require a table or scaffolding to hold. I did get this. I don't know if the small version has the extra pictures. To the story, it is short because the pictures get in the way. But in a similar way to Eric, it allows Terry to be slightly more whimsical, and the writing style reminded me of the earlier books. He, he also brings some characters together for the first time. Rince, Wind and Carrot, and more importantly, Carrot and Cohen, with interesting results. He marched towards the horde, past the astonished gods, and stopped in front of Cohen. Cohen the Barbarian? Who's it to you? said Cohen, mystified. I am Captain Carrot of the Ankh-Borpo Watch. I hereby attest you on a charge of conspiracy to end the world. You need not say anything. I don't tend to say anything, said Cohen, raising his sword. I'm just going to cut your ink head off. Hold it, hold it, said Boy Willie urgently. Do you know who we all are? Yes, sir, I believe so. You are Boy Willie, a.k.a. Mad Bill, Wilhelm the Chopper, the Great... And you're going to arrest us? You say you're some kind of watchman? That's correct, sir. We've must have killed hundreds of watchmen in our time, lad. I'm sorry to hear that, sir. How much do they pay you, boy? said Caleb. Forty-three dollars a month, Mr. Ripper, with allowances. While researching this book, I was looking at the annotated, annotated page, page on lspace.org. Ugh, that's a, oh, well, Dave's going to be laughing themselves completely silly on the floor right now. <sighs> the annotated Pratchett page on lspake.org, and it reminded me of something I meant to do for the moving pictures review that I never wrote. On page 21 of the hardback book, there is a picture of Pondo Stibbings. He is standing there, beardless, with round glasses, black hair, and the pointy hat. The pointy hat, yeah. Obligatory pointy hat. <sighs> I think I've been speaking too much. You've evolved in the, in, the, in the sort of last couple of weeks. <clears throat> anyway, it's virtually identical to the picture. The identical drawing to a uh, picture Paul Kidby did for the Pratchett Preferred Audio in 1996. In the year 2000, I began to see Ponder everywhere. He was in bookshops, supermarkets, convenience stores, er etc. Usually stand in front of a steam train or sitting in a Ford Anglia. Ah. 
maybe looking slightly younger, but still definitely Ponder Stibbons. Although, why he taken to wearing a lightly shaped tattoo on his forehead? I was not sure. <laughs> you think we get? You know where he's going with this, don't you? In the mid two thousand, some people began to uh, of uh, Terry that the he got the idea of the unseen university from a place called Hogwarts. <laughs> I never heard that one. Cheers, Colin. A bunch of Muppets. <clears throat> anyway, understandably, he got a bit grumpy about this. From Awards. Terry says, Ponder Stimmons was a dean first drawn in 1996. Of course, used a, used a time machine to get the idea of Unseen University from Hogwarts. I don't know what Paul used in this case. Obviously, he must have used something. Personally, I think Terry was most grumpy about having misplaced his time machine. All this proves that within any fandom, Doctor Who, Harry Potter, Discworld, there are some really stupid people. That was the footnote to that. And yes, Colin, you are completely, completely and utterly and utterly 100% on the point now. Lastly, I think this story contains the first mention of Noggin, who is introduced in Dun Manifesting as being in charge of paperclips, correct things in the right places, a small desk uh, desk stationery sets and unnecessary paperwork. What do a what do Nuggets TM believe in? Us Offler. Uh, me mostly, and followers are forbidden to eat chocolate, ginger, mushrooms, and garlic. Several of the gods winced. And when you prohibit it, don't you mess about, do you? Said Offler. Mm. Remind me not to read that clip out when we do the reading afterwards. Here's a similar to what we get in Monstrous Regiment, but not quite fully formed. Or maybe at this stage he hadn't gone completely nuts with his abominations. But that chocolate one. All in all, a good little story. It lacks the depth. A full-length full novel. But nevertheless, it's a fun read. And you get pictures. If you decide to forego the pictures and listen to the audio, the unabridged version is just over four hours in length. Cheers. Jolin. So that I don't need to read because that's the thing. Now, Colin found something on the nets. And we had a nice little interesting discussion about this little thing we found on the nets. Um, basically, uh, The Last Hero has been done as a play, but it's not one that I could find that's been written by a certain Mr. Briggs called Stephen anywhere. Not the other Briggs who writes stuff. That's really confusing. You've got two Mr. Briggs who, you know, some people call Briggsy, even though ours we call the Partition, and the Doctor Who one we call Dalek Face. But adrift. So, Colin found, uh, performed by uh, a bunch of Forexers, um, a play that was put out on YouTube as well. It was filmed and put out on YouTube. So, well... This is what Colin says. Well, this is new. I get to watch Discworld play in the comfort of my own home with banged grains. I think it means popcorn. The Last Hero was adapted and directed by Ian Rennie and performed at the Brisbane Arts Theatre in 2012. One of their performances has been uploaded to YouTube with Ian's permission as a tribute to Terry and I have uh, pasted the link on the Facebook page. Or in a search within the, uh, U uh, the YouTube, I think it was within Tube of You, uh, right, anyway. <clears throat> Terry Pratchett, Last Hero, takes you straight to it. The play's in five parts, not four, okay, five parts. 
with a total running time of 2.5 hours. The performance itself, it was an amateur production and generally played very well. The Silver Horde were all convincing, particularly Cohen, although I didn't realise he came from 4X. The petition was uh, perhaps played a little too theatrically. I have got used to be, uh, the part being underplayed. I did have an issue with Red Cully. The actor was young, fine, no problem with a young person could play old. But he had no beard. I mean, come on, really? Even a false one, aka Eric, would have sufficed. Oh, you mean like the Hogfather as well, Colin? <clears throat> anyway, I had no idea he was uh, who he was until another car character referred to him by name. I became more confused when the actor playing Leonard of Aquarium came on as the exactly the right build, a physical build for Ray Cully, as described with the books, with his own beard. Also, carrot should not be bald. Yeah, that's true, he should be red-haired. But I am in danger of quibbling, uh, quibbling over. They don't look like they imagined them again. And this time, everyone is listening uh, to this can go up to YouTube and watch the play and disagree me, with me if they wish. Oh, I get my tongue tied today. Eh, shall we get that? Carry on. As this one on a Steve's Briggs or Stephen Briggs adaptation, I was wondering if it was going to be a different interpretation of Terry's work. To be honest, I could not really tell the difference between this and one done by Stephen. So it must have been pretty good then. As this is a short story, they did not have uh, have to edit too much out of it to reduce it to a two point five a two and a half hour play. With a full-length novel, we intend to lose two-thirds. Here I'd say less than a third. Terry's voice was still there. I have seen it uh, with other plays. One thing I did notice, though, but this may have been due to uh, the way the cameras were set up, was the lack of laughter from the audience. Admittedly, the audience does remain unseen throughout, but they only had a few titters. That's a bit... That's not nice. I love myself sit at the book quite often. Um, no. Lastly, the YouTube broadcast uh, itself was filmed by three cameras. The views mainly from straight onto the stage, which is fine, but occasionally it flicks to the right, uh, right side above and left side below. Both of these are not lit right, so it can be a dis bit disconcerting when the view suddenly changes. They've also added film inserts into the broadcast at the time uh, at the um, into the broadcast at the beginning and the end using Paul Kitty's artwork to, uh, with permission to uh, simulate the omniscope. All in all, it's a very good watch and well worth it, especially if you've never seen a disco play before, before as it will give you an idea of what, uh, what goes on at one of these performances. Cheers, Colin. Also, I could recommend you look up the, uh, the Blake 7 Avon guy uh, doing uh, our favourite Watchmen uh, in a play that's also on YouTube so let's see what I got up to so we're doing clacks that means we're moving on to well the Fools Guild and Colin once again back in a sec Now, the thing is, I read the uh, Collins review of the play of 
um, the last hero because that's where I th thought it was appropriate uh, to be put. But we have another two couple of pieces where I'm going to get completely tongue-tied from Colin. Now Colin went to see the Going Postal play um, but also did a, a review of a small gods comic book that came out last month. So first of all it's the Going Postal play. On the 20th of August myself and a friend who I commandeered to make the journey to Cardiff to see the play Going Postal, adapted by Stephen Briggs and performed by the Monstrous Productions Theatre Company. Uh, this group exists solely to put on Terry Pratchett plays, with the proceedings going to various charities, mainly ARUK, Alzheimer's Research UK, I think. Going Postal was their eighth production. Naturally, three weeks off, uh, after three weeks of fine and sunny weather, as soon as I decided to go go to visit my friend who lives in Bath and then journey on to Cardiff it decides to tip it down. Gales, driving rain, the works. I thought we'd gone to Clamidos instead. My friend who's also a, D, uh, a, a DW fan, the other one Graham, oh he's a Doctor Who fan, uh, <coughs> was forced, forced mind you, to go to the DW experience on the other side of the city. So by the time we'd arrived at the Gate Theatre we were rather bedraggled. I oh, like that word. That's good. Bedraggled. Nice use word. <clears throat> I carry on. The Gate Theatre is an old converted East Church, Baptist, Methodist, Nonconformist, etc. Okay. And the pews uh, form a tiered U shape around the stage, so it gives everyone a good 3D view. Why do they sort of move around with glasses on? So you put like it, so it looks like 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 sunglasses on. You move around. I'm drifting. As the stage was larger than average, I got the ex expression. I think that might have been impression uh, that it was more elaborate production than many other groups. But thinking about it now, a few days later, it was not really. There were no large sets or backdrops. In fact, the backdrop was just a black curtain. I think it was the fact that the stage was so large, 10 by 10 metres, uh, 10 by 10 metres, that is about 35 by 35 foot. Uh, judging, um, I think that is, anyways, um, judging right out into the audience gave the impression of a bigger than normal production. Indeed their props uh, consisted uh, of a desk for veterinary, a couple of chairs for Richer and his crew, and a load of mailbags. Admittedly, these had been carried onto and off the stage a number of times throughout the performance, also gave the impression of a larger production. So it's nicely done. Long time listeners may remember that I had uh, and have issues with the sky production of Going Postal. While the visuals are great, I really dislike the some of the character uh, changes made. Mainly too moist, not confident enough. Adora Bella, unforgiving to the point of uh, to the point of petty revenge, and Mr. Pump, weak-minded. Uh, Stephen Briggs' adaptation is much better. He keeps uh, Terry's humour and language. All the characters behave as they do in the book. And in fact, during the first half, I thought uh, dump the skyscraper, just film this one with a few tweaks to make it more visual. Admittedly, by the end of the second half, I thought more of a blend would be better, as I felt the ending of the play was a bit abrupt. The climax of the book, the race between the post office and the clacks, was a bit 
too truncated for my liking um, but that's a minor quibble also for the play that includes Klex, uh, Klex Company as a, a major plot point do you not see any of the towers? Uh, you do not see any of the towers. Sorry, I read too fast. But the way Stephen has written it, I did not miss them until near the end of the performance. Moyes, played by uh, Asher Townsend, was perfect. This was the Moyes I wanted in the Sky production. As in the book, his inner turmoil is only shown by the occasional one-liner to the audience. I wonder if the hangman can still fit me in. And to Adora Bella, later in the play... You're the only, you're the only who, I think the only one who believe I don't have a plan. To everyone else, he shows su supreme confidence and the trademark winning smile which Townsend had down to a T. Vitanari had quite a large part in this production, played by Michael Dickinson Smith. He did lack uh, 20 years or so, but he had the mannerisms of politician down to pat. In fact, my friend, who is is, is not not a DW fan, uh, that'll be uh, our sort of DW, thought he was uh, underplaying the parts until I said, no, this veterinary, quiet, never raises his, his voice, always in control, and swear he had Matt Smith's sonic cane. One thing uh, that is uh, very difficult for the amateur groups to do, and for Sky that matter, are trolls and golems mainly because they do not have actors who weigh over a ton. Even the Sky Golems did not quite work despite their budget, and the characterization was not great. However, here, however, they got the character the character correct. It's the Mr. Pump from the book, and the costume did not look too bad. I could continue about the rest of the cast, but the review would end up being longer than the play. Suffice to say, there was not a badly acted part. Often with amateur groups, they have to uh, let some things go, because they are, well, amateurs. These were professional amateurs. Stanley is, Stanley Grote is wonderful, and it reminded me of Andrew Sachs, who was great in the Sky production after the previous play I'd seen him, as I'd seen, had issued the previous review, super previous review, and this is one of my favourite books. I was slightly worried that this may not live up to expectations. I was also worried that my my non-DW friend, his DW stroke non-DW Doctor Who but not Discord friend, would not like it. But all worries vanished, and he wants to see this group's next production, Amazing Morris, to be performed next February. I'll try to remember to bring a cushion because those pews will in, in, <laughs> induce a numb bum after three hours. A shorter review would have been like my Facebook posts. Brilliant, superb, wonderful, Colin. So, 30 years of trying and no luck to get him to read a STP novel. Although I did force him to really, uh, listen to the Discworld section of Science of Discworld 2 on the drive in there back. He is a university professor. Uh, although I am brainwashing his kids, uh, kids haven't bought them many of the young adult books. So those are sort of... It's like only one thing there, yeah. So that's a, the, 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 the footnote had a footnote. <clears throat> Multiple footnotes. So, this next bit is from also from Gollin, as I mentioned. It's the Small Gods graphic novel review. 
I got this book along with Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Well, I had to read the HP book first, which I really enjoyed. I don't understand the fan book, uh, fandom backlash. I feel they have sort of missed the point. It's a play, which by definition is not an in-depth book. And yes, I can see the characters acting like that. <clears throat> but, as this is a Pratchett forum, and not a JK Rowling one, yeah, because... I have it done with a not in corners. If I did the JK thing like I did the Patrick podcast within about a year and a half, I'd be done. Anyway, <clears throat> so on with a review of Graham's least favorite Discworld book. Now with pictures, and he's put a footnote. The book that is not this review. <laughs> yeah, cheers, Colin. That's funny. Now I have to admit, I am not a comic. Sorry, graphic novel fan. I've never got into them. Uh, into them when I was a kid, I always felt that the pictures got in the way of the words. Uh, the exception being the Asterix books, which I loved and will still happily read given the chance. This book is illustrated by Ray Friesen. No, it's Ray Friesen. Sorry, uh, and I can't say I'm overly a fan of the uh, overly a fan of the style. Again. I was comparing it to an Asterix book, my only other reference. Some reviews I've read would prefer the jo uh, Josh uh, Kirby or the Paul Kidby style of illustration. I also had the occasional uh, do uh, the occasional do you read it down the page or across the page problem as it changed radically throughout the book. Well, that's not good. But that's a minor quibble. I wouldn't say that's a minor quibble, Colin. Uh, as the Asterix books also did this. Hmm... Uh, to the story, well, it's Small Gods, which I've already reviewed. And there's a cut-down version. It's interesting that some of the narration was retained as plain text. More interesting, extra dialogue has been added in a few places. This helped, for me at least, for a joke to fall in place for the first time in 20 years. Original book test. A bird appeared in the doorway. At least it looked vaguely like a bird. It was about a foot high, black and white with a bent beak, an expression that suggested whatever it was, it really dreaded ever, ha ever happening to it already had happened. What's that, said brother? A penguin, said Om, inside his head. Patina, the goddess of wisdom. One of the best, said Zeno. The penguin groaned at him and waddled off into the darkness. The philosophers looked very embarrassed. Now, I don't know if you missed that joke, or I didn't realise there was one in the comic reads. Honk. What's that? Penguin, similar patina, god of witness. Patron of libraries and learning, one of personal favourites. Why does the lady god of wisdom have a penguin? Seems a bit random. Our bloody artist couldn't draw owls and we're stuck with it. Embarrassing, really. Or was it a dig at penguin books? I was just wondering about that. It's not subtle at all, but the uh, original was a bit too subtle, or a bit thick. All in all, it's a good little read. If you enjoyed the main novel, you might be slightly disappointed by uh, the editing out of over half the dialogue. But if you read it enough times, you can mentally put it back in. Uh, after all, the pitch is supposed to say a thousand words. And one last point. Sound the spoiler warning. Aruga! Aruga! Spoilers! This is another edition, but I but it 
is it? Uh, this is another edition, but it is, I think, a significant difference to the book. When the unnamed boat is sunk by the Queen of the Sea in the novel, we don't get, uh, get, we, huh? The boat is sunk by the Queen of the Sea in the novel. We don't explicitly know how Brother gets himself and onto the beach. Colin, I need some commas, mate. <clears throat> and we don't... And we don't how... No, no is missing there. No, how Vorbis gets to the beach either. Death says, uh, just says Vorbis survives the sinking of the Finn of God. The other ship. In the comic, a couple of extra pictures are added showing a figure wearing some sort of snorkel coming to the beach, showing both Brother and Vorbis. This figure turns out to be Luce, presumably Ku, uh, provided the snorkel. In the last scene of the novel and the comic, Luce says to the abbot that he had to nudge things a bit, uh, but in the novel the only thing nudging we see is the sabotaging of the moving turtle. I'm not sure I like this edition. That was it from Colin. Oh, after all that, I suppose it's about time I got my chops on this uh, bookie bookie. And uh, back in a bit. The beginning of the story happened tens of thousands of years ago on a wild and stormy night when a speck of flame came down the mountain. At the centre of the world, it moved in dodges and jerks, as if the unseen person carrying it was sliding and falling from rock to rock. At one point, the line became a streak of sparks, ending in a snowdrift at the bottom of a crevasse. But a hand thrust up through the snow held the smoking embers of the torch and the wind, driven by the anger of the gods and with a sense of humour its own, whipped up the flame back into life. And after that, it never died. At the end of the story, began high above the world. But it got lower and lower as it circled down towards the ancient and modern city of Ankh-Morpork where it was said anything could be bought and sold, and if they didn't have what you wanted, they could steal it for you. Some of them could even dream it. The creature now seeking out a particular building below was the trained pointless albatross, and by the standards of the world, was not particularly unusual. So compared to, say, the Republican bees, who committed rather than swarms and tended to stay in the hive a lot, voting for more honey. It was thought pointless. It spent its entire life in a series of lazy journeys between the rim and the hub. What was the point in that? This one was more or less tame. Its beady mad eyes spotted, for reasons entirely beyond comprehension, anchovies could be found. And someone who would remove this uncomfortable cylinder from his leg. It seemed a pretty good deal to the albatross, and from this... It can be deduced that the albatrosses are, if not completely pointless, at least rather dumb. Not at all like humans. So, time for my review. 
I'll start off with the facty facty bits. So, in short, a plot summary. A message carried by the pointless albatross arrives for Lord Veterinari from the Akatine Empire. A message explains that the Silver Horde, a group of aged barbarians introduced in interesting times, wherein they conquered the Empire and led by Cohen Barbarian, another Emperor, have set out on a quest. The first hero of Discworld, Fingers Mazda, stole the fire from the gods and gave it to mankind. Uh, and it was chained and it was chained to a rock to be torn open daily by a giant eagle as punishment. As the last heroes remaining on the discs, the Silver Horde seek to return fire to the gods with interest, in the form of a large sled packed with explosive Agatean thunder clay. They plan to blow up the gods at their mountain home, Cori Celesti. With them is a whiny, terrified bard, whom they have kidnapped so they can write the saga of the quest. Along the way, they are joined by evil Harry Dredd, the last Dark Lord, and Vena, the raven-haired, an elderly heroine who has now gone grey. And that's the basics, sort of, to the overview of it. Now, the book uh, was originally published in 2001 by Victor Gollans, as mostly always does. Um, it also, uh, the ISBN number is 0575. Zero six eight eight five X, and it, obviously written by Sir Terry, but illustrated by Paul Kidby. Now I have uh, a paperback one. I think it's probably the third uh, printed version of it, and it's not the massive monster version that uh, ended up on coffee tables at Colin. Uh, one spoke of uh, as a sort of a, a story. It was it was. One of these stories that I keep forgetting, because I keep seeing the one picture of Rince Winds doing the scream on the moon. I'm like, oh, from which book is that? And it's like, oh, you fool, it's from this. So, the last uh, hero, as far as I'm aware and as far as I can remember, but memory has this bad, bad... Um, thing of doing the cheaty thing and not letting remain in things as it should be this is the last outing for Cohen and his silver horde but not for the rest um, I'm not sure we'll see Leonard again but I'm sure we'll see him at least once um, and obviously Carrot, Betinari, Rincewind the University it goes without saying. Uh, but the, the character that we have introduced for this book, and this book only, is Evil Harry Dread, as far as I can remember. Which uh, is quite interesting, because he takes absolutely every single evil Dark Lord cliche, including Jedi ones, and he epitomises all of them in his own little way. And a fantastic sort of, uh, well, I've got to double-cross you, it's my job, sort of thing. So he's a man, a man who's very much of and to his job. Uh, the, the Silver Horde, um, they're the usual self. They're the usual sort of um, quips and uh, try not to wake up Matt Hamish sort of self. This is basically just after, um, obviously they're going on, on another 
quest because they are missing the teacher. Uh, don't know to do what to do with themselves since his death. And emperoring is rather boring, at least according to Colin. Uh, Colin. Conan. Sorry, Colin. And this is why they go on this quest. Now, obviously, the the albatross uh, leads to. I'm actually drifting on this. I don't know why. The book is absolutely fantastic. It's very short. It's only four. You know, you can actually read it in the same amount of times that it takes to listen to the the uh, the audiobook version quite easily. The audiobook version is uh, read by uh, Stephen Briggs, as always. Uh, but in this version, the, the illustrations are absolutely gorgeous. They're fantastic. Um, you know, you can you see why that uh, that Sateri took um, Paul on after uh, Josh passed along uh, to the great illustrator um, Ace in the Sky. And uh, I don't know why I keep drifting. My brain is farting. I do apologise. Because uh, I have to keep reminding me of all my sort of favourite little bits. Uh, things like um, Leonard O'Quirm's The Kite, which is just fantastic. Um, Leonard O'Quirm, of course, is obviously based on uh, um, Leonardo da Vinci and vote absolute every single way uh, possible, uh, including the uh, the inventions that Luckily for Leonardo da Vinci, that nobody picked up on properly, and um, it's absolutely—they do have a stowaway though on this kite, and it's the librarian, who turns out to be also a little hero of his own due to sort of unforeseen circumstances, and just the way that they they power this using the um, uh, swamp dragons. Now things are. Um, do you know what I am actually? This is really, really embarrassing. I'm, I'm sorry. I should go back and read the book again, but I'm telling you, I'll come back and I'll sit to this point and my brain will go fart. It's that book that my brain forgets. I know it exists, I know it is a good book, but my brain farts. Now, that's not saying anything against the book. That's more saying that my brain probably purposely forgets what goes on in this book so I will read it again I will listen to it again and it, because it is really really good the illustrations I suppose it's forgetful because it's so short and that's probably my sort of bad than anybody else's but this I feel also you know getting back to I actually have thoughts, um, has a sort of, uh, what can I say, you see this sort of propagation of juxtaposition of characters and how they're put together, sort of the Unseen University and the Partition sort of thing going on. And uh, you'll see this happen in a couple of other books as well in the future, uh, such as Colin mentioned today, going postal. Or um, also, I think if I'm, I'm badly remember, uh, raising steam is also much the sort of the same sort of thing. It happens in other books uh, where all I can say is that the unseen university is nothing better than the Patricians' uh, televisual post office. I say post office 
uh, it used to be the case that, uh, at least here in Germany, that the post office provided the cable TV here in Germany, or as in Überwald. Uh, as the UK, uh, the post office used to provide also lots of other sort of things in that sort of manner as well. I think it was the telephones. Post office provided telephones. Anyway, where he's drifting. Yes, go out, read the book. Yes, it is a solid five out of five. And I'm sorry, my brain just farts when it comes to this book. It completely forgets the illustrations. It completely forgets everything. I need to make myself a reminder to go back to this book a lot more often than I do. Because it is good. The way that Carrot is in this book is just typically Carrot. And you know what they say about sort of things. There's the, the Silver Horde, one of the most dangerous uh, bunch of um, heroes that has ever been. And that sort of thing where if somebody comes up to you and they're quite confident in that they're standing in front of you and you are basically the guy who's who in all reality would kick their backsides and they still stand there. That's the sort of point that makes other people you know, worried. Oh, we're 20. You know, this happened to sort of Cohen as well. Not Colin. Cohen. Colin LeBrain at the moment. Um, that he was stood in there. You realise there are 20 of us. And? And it usually makes them think they're going to get their backsides kicked by this one person. So um, that's probably what happened. Uh, that the uh, carrot did the carrot thing. And... Um, it made the Silver Horde think a bit. But there's lots of spoilers, I'm sorry. I can only apologise. Anyway, that's it that for this month. After my absolute apologetic and dreadful review of a somewhat fantastic book, uh, next month, uh, just short of Halloween, uh, quite appropriately, I'm going to be doing Johnny and... The Dead. This was a good book for Halloween. Now I'll be able to read this. Thanks to Dave. That's uh, Dave Williams. Who sent that through with also a couple of other books. Like um, World of Pooh as well. Uh, <laughs> so I'll be able to read it. As well as listen to it. Again. Fantastic. So if you want to get hold of me and basically shout at me for being absolutely pathetic this month. Um, the clack's address is pratchettpodcast at gmail.com pratchettpodcast at gmail.com uh, There is also the Facebook group, which if you do the little search, uh, the thing that looks like a, uh, supposed to look like a magnifying glass, if you type there the Pratchett Podcast in there, you will find it straight off. Uh, we do have a Twitter account, but it's mainly just used for announcing the next podcast. That is UU Librarian. And otherwise, um, everything else uh, is basically succumbed to the passage of time. Uh, Reese is doing well, uh, as his his uh, partner, and their little baby Robin. He seems to be going in spurts and bounds and all sorts of stuff. So, uh, yeah, just look like he, he sort of gets sort of catch up there. So, for me, for this month and the dreadful review that I did, thankfully Colin saved the day and everything else. Thank you, Colin. I'll say bye for now and catch you next month. Wait. This is Halloween. This is Halloween. 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 Halloween.
If you want to contact us, then you can try through the Facebook group, The Pratchett Podcast. You can also get in contact over the email, pratchettpodcast at gmail.com. Also on Twitter, the U U Librarian. He keeps saying ook all the time. Who knows why? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.